G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. We're back from break, and hot on the heels of our space special, we're diving headlong into another kind of space, cyberspace. Twisted did its first VR special a year ago, and things have changed so quickly, we reckoned we would go back and have another look. So we're speaking to the founders of two big virtual reality startups, each of which is starting to reach global scale. We'll start in conversation with Zero Latency's Tim Russ, then we'll conclude with a chat to StartVR's Kane Tietzel. Each of these folks have investors, lots of employees, and lots of customers. This is not VR as a thought bubble. This is VR as a business, and we're getting immersed on this virtual reality special episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Creative3, Australia's largest conference for creative tech entrepreneurs and startups. Twista is also sponsored by Spaceship, where you can invest your super in the tech companies you know and love. Find out more at spaceship.com.au. The last 18 months have seen an explosion in the number of virtual reality companies here in Australia. Most of them are small. Uh, very few of them are earning any real revenue. There's one exception, zero latency. Pretty much before anyone else was even out of the starting gate, Zero Latency had developed and deployed a full location-based entertainment product for fully immersive networked VR. Now, there's a lot of buzzwords in that. What it means is that over the last two years, Zero Latency has been leading the world in VR entertainment. So here to help us unroll it, and I've been looking forward to this for a year, is Zero Latency founder and CEO, Tim Roos. Tim, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, so what is the product? First off, what are you selling people? So it's a free room virtual reality system, and what that means is you can explore any digital world like it's real life. It's and it means that you're also not attached to some computer, which com most yeah, of the it's, systems it's, it's are. It's completely wireless, so that, that the native the native nature of the interface is the most important part. It's social, you can come with your friends um, or other colleagues if you're in a training situation, say for the army, the police, or for health practitioners, you can enter this track space yeah. completely wirelessly. Everything that you do tracks one-to-one, -one, so it feels very natural, feels very immersive. So you put on a head mounted display, you put on a backpack, a backpack that's got yep. all of the computer in it. That is correct. And you're wearing a sort of fancy headgear. Yes, yeah, so you basically have tracking gear mounted on um, the controller that you have in your hand. So if it's for a game, it's normally uh, one of our rifle controllers. You can also attach that to any other kind of thing that you, you can conceive. That you so might you're need a fireman, you could have a hose. Hose, exactly, exactly. A fire extinguisher, a gun, uh, you could use it as a mine sweeping device, for example. Um, you pick that up, they're all tracked, right. and you see it all one-to-one. -one. So we actually, when we start people in the entertainment space, we found the easiest way to get them orientated with their rifle is to put it on the ground and say pick it up. Okay. Let's step back here because you had basically all of that technology out of the starting gate and other yep. folks all around the world are just getting to this technology. So where did that come from? Did someone come down from the mountain with a tablet saying here's, <laughs> here's zero latency? Um, well, yeah, you could say that if um, the, the Moses figure in that analogy would be Scott Van Donkler who's the one of um, the co-founders of Zero Latency and essentially the technical genius mm -hmm. that came up with the initial concept. He was working on a tracking system for another project and the Oculus Rift came out. He'd recently gone and seen a one of those real-life zombie laser tag experiences right. and thought, what a nightmare, all those <laughs> actors, wouldn't it be better if you could do it in VR? Um, <laughs> and that's that's what he came up with. And we worked together and we were having a subway one day and um, he said, I got this idea. 
and I was completely hooked being someone that played Pterodactyl Nightmare. Um, oh, Dactyl Nightmare. When I was Nightmare. a kid. Um, ah, and yes. I, always saw the, I remember distinctly the day of paying my 10 or 15 1990s dollars and being underwhelmed but oh, enthusiastic right. about the potential. Um, yep. And we just started building it. It really was a hobby project uh, initially for love. So did you just do it out of your own pockets at the, at yeah, the beginning? Yeah, our own time, our own money. Um, but we were all working professionally at the time. Mm. So, look, it was a hobby that turned into an obsession. I think early in the piece, knowing, um, and then we brought Keel in as well, who's the other co-founder who um, worked as a, as a forensic analyst and hacker, essentially, and then is as comfortable putting together a deck or building a house as he is soldering electronics and coding firmware. Um, we put together this triangle of hardware, software, and business. Right. And fundamentally, that allowed us, we had enough differentiation so we didn't tr step on each other's toes, mm -hmm. and we had a shared purpose, and we just started working in 90-day cycles. And so when did you get to the point, did you roll it out, was it first rolled out here at the facility that you have in Melbourne? Was that the first place that you sort of play tested it? How did you know it was going to be successful, that people were going to enjoy it? Well, look, the first, I think you got it with any sort of um, cutting-edge technology that no one can really conceive of what it would be like right. or why they would need it until it's there. As soon as this concept was explained, it's like, that's the childhood dream of mine, that's awesome, I can never have the ability to code that, but... I can sell it, I can build a business, and we've got, I've got ideas, and we started working together. I think initially the first ever proof of concept we did was um, a wooden gun with a, a very rudimentary tracking system based off a smartphone strapped to a, a wooden gun with a car reversing monitor. We didn't even have an Oculus Rift at the time, mm -hmm. so we were investing, especially Scott, like hundreds of hours a month into developing this product. Um, and you could see straight away, just from having a solenoid mounted on a piece of wood with a trigger system through an Arduino into a smartphone, on a car reversing monitor, just the nature of being able to move around a space and have it track was pretty impressive. Yeah. And it's like when we put a, when we put an Oculus Rift on this, when it finally comes from Kickstarter, I hope it's good. Um, to be honest, as soon as we put those two together, especially having tried the Rift on, done the Tuscany demo and gone, oh, this is nauseating, to then, right. put, to then put it on and walk around a, a three by three metre box that we created in the studio that we rented and go, this is much better. Well, and much because, better. again, the, the Rift had no tr real tracking no to tracking, start with um, anyway. No controller. Yeah. So we had, a, we had a pistol prototype and the headset and this giant basically desktop computer mounted to a piece of um, MDF on our backs and um, these batteries. And yeah, it was a crazy rig. But um, videos exist of it that we, we could just see the potential straight away. And certainly as we start to scale it up, Okay, so you saw the potential. Now you need to go, okay, this is clearly going to need to be a business. So how do you make that transition from what was something between a hobby and a passion project yeah. to now, okay, this is going to be an entertainment yeah. business? Look, well, very early in the piece, I mean, my, as part of the triangle, my value um, was very much from the business side of things. So there was large expanse of time where I stood um, with a glowing ball on my head waiting for the code <laughs> to be fixed, thinking about how do we turn it into an international business um, and all that time paid off. Um, Essentially, what we discovered really, really quickly and became the zero latency thesis is you're going to get a better experience out of home than you're going to be able to get in-home. Right. In-home is going to be slow because who's going to make content for a platform that doesn't really exist and no one's going to buy a platform that doesn't have content. Right. Chicken and egg, right. Yeah, and you could sort of say that's why Sony's killing it in in-home VR because they have all those things together. Um, pretty much all entertainment has started out of home, cinema, even books initially were, yeah. were something that was you know in a library or mass entertainment read out from the pulpit and certainly video games are the same. Why, why would VR leap change that step? Especially when people realise that oh, it's not just a, a, a better version of a computer. It's a completely different way to build interfaces, to interact. Everything you know is wrong in VR from right. every perspective. Interface design, game design, everything you know is wrong. I'm right there behind you, yeah. So 
that was certainly formed based of our thesis plus motion sickness certainly once we try the tusking demo as well it's like wow the sim sickness is going to be a killer mm. we can remove that by um just dealing with the basic physiological unescapable facts of the way your brain works and, and by putting people in their bodies which you do yeah. if you put them in a space one-to-one -one movement it's it's yeah. it's the key and um we saw all that so as we were you know start as a hobby this would be cool and the more we started to analyze that we're like all right we've got all these competitive advantages right. let's get it out there we set one up as a crowdfunding campaign um which was more of a marketing and just market testing exercise who wants to come pay for this and play it ironically only 70 percent of people that gave money played and we contact them afterwards and they're like oh we just thought it was a cool idea that's how much did you raise 32 grand okay that's great yeah hardest 32 grand i've ever raised yeah. um so that was you know that was that was that was good but it was hard work and we were doing it you know on the weekends um and during the evenings but during that process we um, met some investors um who we got over the line for investing in zero latency so okay Here's an interesting point, though, because at the time you were looking for investors, VR had not hotted up yet. Yeah. And so you're coming to them with this very wacky, sort of very edge technology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're not going to be able to sell them on that. You're going to have to be able to sell them on a business story. So what was the business story you were selling them on? Well, look, I think what we were selling them on was the fact that we we had a proof of concept that worked. It mm -hmm. wasn't like, here's a PowerPoint deck, right. you know, we're gonna be the next Facebook or whatever nonsense people spout in some of those pitch meetings. It was like, we have a fantastic technology. We see it's it the Uber for zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, exactly. Um, we, you know, the business was, look, we, we don't know exactly how the model's gonna work out, but there's applications in training, there's applications in um, visualization of real estate, mm -hmm. there's applications in the adult entertainment industry, um, which we don't wanna go into, but no. we call it the fourth vertical. Mm. Um, there's also applications in the entertainment space. We think entertainment's gonna be big, then it's probably gonna be visualization and then training. Um, and we were lucky enough to find investors who were looking at that time for a VR play. Dean Durrell, who is one of the partners at Carthona Capital, yeah. um, you know, he's an out there guy. He reads widely, he thinks deeply, and he was looking for VR. Dean's been on this show a lot yeah, for precisely yeah, 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 that yeah. reason, because he brings an enormous, surprising for someone who was a very famous professional rugby player, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Yeah, but he's, got, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's got a real brain on his shoulders that yeah, wasn't yeah, knocked yeah. out, and yeah, so I can yeah, sort yeah. of see why. Because the first time I'd heard of you was through Dean. This is, you know, yeah. I didn't know there was any VR going on in Australia at the time. He's like, oh yeah, there's zero latency on there, smashing it. Yeah. And that, yes, yeah, very, very much so. So we were lucky enough to get, um, like our funding, to be completely honest, it was pretty rudimentary. We were pretty burnt out. We could see the next step. We'd raise 30 grand. We mm -hmm. probably were gonna need to stick another five or 10 in ourselves to get the crowdfunding thing up and running, if not another 20. Um, so, you know, we cut a deal and it was, it was probably one of the best moves we've made. You know, it's interesting when you go through that process and people agonizing it, agonizing it, you agonize about it and you speak to people who are, um, different levels of their journey and mm. you get a lot of advice but um, from our perspective it's like right we need a million bucks we see this thing's got legs we either go we go in now and we go fast or someone else will do it and what made you choose one vertical over another what made you choose an entertainment vertical versus <coughs> visualization or training because training has certainly come into the fore as yeah. a as a nice big vertical now. yeah look, we we the, we did a lot of market research so once we we got funded in a um, essentially the summer of 2014, we went like, okay, I, I, I would say had 120 plus demos in 90 days mm. of um, architecture companies, massive, you know, multi-billion dollar developers, uh, digital agencies, people representing the ADF, um, people from big leisure companies, anyone I could bring into a room, right. the networking frenzy. And um, we, it was pretty apparent 
that entertainment was the one thing that we could do and we could control. It's like we can't, we're not, we don't run an army, we don't run a visualization factory. <laughs> we run an um, army of zombies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, um, you're right. You know, let's. Interesting enough, visualization was pegged by um, early investors. That's where it's going to be. Um, but not really the case because the core, what you realize is the core business of the army is delivering, you know, lethality essentially. Yeah. And training is part of that. There's lots of different ways to train lethality. Yeah. And there's various ways to do that. Um, also, the core business of developers is to buy and is to build and sell apartments yeah. or sell the idea of an apartment. And walking around a small apartment in virtual reality, as we did for a client, is not a great experience. It actually shows exactly how small it is. Great for the consumer, not good for the for the seller. <laughs> Plus, there's many tried and true ways to sell an apartment. Yeah. You know, and they also, if you look at real estate agents, they were quite slow to move from print to online. So not early adopters. Well, it's also something, particularly if you're looking just in Australia, you don't need any gimmick to sell anything. I think if you move internationally, yeah. maybe you need different forms of media. But but also selling you know, an inherently um, complex multiplayer experience that's complex because it's wireless, it's multiplayer, mm. and it's large scale. Mm. Real estate agents want a quick way to capture either the, the futuristic dream with visualizations, and fly-throughs is the best way to do that that we, they have currently, to be honest, um, or to capture quickly with photos or video what they're trying to sell in real life. We're talking with Tim Roos on This Week in Startups Australia, and we will be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I'd like to take a minute to tell you all about Twister's sponsors, Creative3. It's Australia's largest conference for creative tech entrepreneurs and startups. On September 22nd, Creative3 brings together entrepreneurs, innovators, and investors for a one-day forum covering areas like virtual reality, animation, games, fashion, film, and entertainment. This year, Creative3 will feature Margaret Wallace, CEO of Playmatics, Tim Roos, who you're listening to right now of Zero Latency, Annie Parker of Code Club Australia, and SOSV's William Baubeam, plus many more talented folks sharing the secrets of their creative successes. Creative3 has sold out seven years in a row, so don't miss out. Buy your ticket at creative3.com.au, and we'll see you there because I'll be the MC. Creative3, it's where you need to be. This is Mark Pesci, and we're back talking to Tim Roos, the CEO and co-founder of Zero Latency. All right, so you've you've picked entertainment, yep. decided you're going to do that. How does that then spin out into what your current business model is? <laughs> yeah, so we look. We, we spoke to a lot of people, and we decided. Look, it's, to be honest, it was a hard sell. You're trying to sell someone on this on this dream. It's it's untried and tested. Um, we went. We'll just do it ourselves. We'll open one in North Melbourne. Right. We'll just we'll just we'll just eat our own dog food. And it was the best move we ever did because what we found, we understood. Our customers, in terms of our B2C customers, we could refine the products. I mean, Scott Keel and I worked, you know, weekends for months with, you know, meeting people, game mastering sessions, fixing technical problems. Um, so what we rapidly realized was that we need to upgrade our hardware, for example, make it a much more robust, like it's an intense data thing, right. <laughs> traveling that much around the network. Um, and look, we did a lot of market research. You know, we spoke to a lot of people. We looked at... Um, at sort of analogous industries in the location-based entertainment space and really just start to build out this model, um, which is, you know, you need to have an ongoing revenue stream because yeah. to support and maintain technology is, is expensive and it's important. There's no point in buying. You could sell it cheap and then walk away, but that's not going to help anybody. Well, and you're also, because of what's going on in VR right now, you're also sort of chasing something that's constantly in motion. Like yeah. the new generation of sensors, a new generation yeah. of GPUs, a new generation of head mounts, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. It's like it's like there's no fixed target yeah. right now. But I guess how the business model sort of is a few, there's the sheer commercials of the deal, but fundamentally it's about 
providing something compelling that you can't get at home and you're not going to be able to get at home anytime soon. So how did you know that the North Melbourne facility, which I've played in, yeah. how did you know that that was going to be a success? We didn't know it was going to be a success. We had a lot of Well, when did you or know? When, um, I would say we, we, we first knew um, when we sold, like I think it was $100,000 worth of tickets in three in two to three weeks and the wow. website just exploded we sold out all our capacity we had this sort of soft launch option what soft launch um process we opened up eight hours um eight hours a day on the weekends four players only but we essentially made a, a video um we got some photography done and we built a website we built a booking engine and i think we got one or two we got four i think i booked in four four or five journalists and it just went nuts you know, it was just, it was a crazy time. And we we got so many, we got heaps of hits on the website. We got, you know, Channel 7 News and you could just see, you know, the, the, the web, the bookings just explode. And that's when we realised that people, even though, you know, got some guys in a ghetto, ghetto VR, we used to call the brand, jokingly, warehouse in North Melbourne with yeah. a, you know, with a cheap video, yeah. but delivering this technology. And I think once people, what the most powerful thing about it was that people would come and try it, not knowing what it was and come out just going, I've never seen that before and it's a bit I liken it to what I imagine Bertha Cinema was where you can't explain you can't explain what a moving picture would be to someone that's only ever read a book and you can't explain free run virtuality to anybody that's never experienced it when does Sega come into this story so we met we met the guys from Sega um, at IAPA we did an IAPA um, which is the big simulation conference you know it's a, it's, a, it's a basically location-based entertainment conference and it is um, it, was, it was my first ever trade show period um, certainly in America and Americans do it large it's a massive um, thing we basically shipped all our gear in boxes so this is everyone is making laser tag or laser tag jumping park rides oh, yeah. and but everything from roller coasters to wristbands like it's crazy anything yeah. that you would think about in I mean they sell pre, pre-made donuts like it's it's anything around the entertainment area and in Australia we get a very small sliver of that but in America everything it's massive it's yeah. huge you know so we went and set up there we rented a space um it, look, it was one of those things where you know we we're getting good traction in North Melbourne, but not enough to pay for the to, to pay for the running cost of developing a product as complex as this. We're onboarding people, um, and then we we went and set up at this at this uh, at this booth, and it was you know it was one of our investors came over, I think, to to make sure he, he could actually see what the interest was, and we set up this booth. We shipped our technology um, in Pelican cases, like in the plane, um, set it up in this uh, in this booth, and we ran it, and we just had a line around the block. And that was our first. So and, and, question, and we, was, the investor, yeah, yeah, yeah. was the investor working with you in the booth then? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's always the sign, not just that they believe, but that you needed the help at the time. Because oh, I, I see this happen a lot. Well, we, we were completely, like, we were, um, as I reflect on this a lot, completely. We planned for, I think I planned for probably what do we do if it doesn't go well, but not if it does go well. We had no salespeople. It was me fielding all those calls. Ah. We took it to IAPA um, completely unprepared for what would happen next. But we met the guys from Sega, and they mm. went in... Um, a whole posse of them, pretty like what's this, and quite um, pretty sort of you know uh, pretty serious guys, and they went in and came out just like you know high fives and and were amazed, and we were lucky enough to really impress one of the the senior guys at Sega Live Creations who went and pushed really hard for it to get into into Tokyo Geopolis. Right. Um, and was that your first? Was that your second that, site after Melbourne? Yeah, that's our first ever client. The guy Aki, who works for Sega Live Creations, he said um, his experience that he goes, I felt like when I first played the PlayStation that it was a game changer, yeah. and I had to bring it to Dropolis. And it was what we've found is a common thread with all the success stories that we've had. Is it's a great concept. It's really 
it's if you see the vision of it, it it's almost infectious that people are like, oh, I've got to, this, this is amazing, this is completely new, I want to get on board. And that's certainly been the story to date, which is really exciting. All right, so uh, the business model now, is it, I, I'm not quite, is it a franchise model? Do people no, license from it's, you? Look, or? It's, it's, they, there's a license. It's a, because it's such a new concept, it's not, you're not buying a, uh, an operation manual and, uh, and some logos right. and, and you make your burgers like Macca's, it's uh, McDonald's. It's very much like we sell you, we sell you uh, hardware with software installed. We have a series, uh, a portal and a bunch of cloud services you, you use and we sell you a license. There's a license fee ongoing to access those services and also have software updates. Right. So somewhere between a hardware sales model and a software as a service, um, that, that's the idea. This was the IBM model back in the good old days when IBM was the largest <laughs> company in the world, right? They would yeah. sell you the mainframe yeah, yeah. and the software they kind of sell you, but you'd just spend all of your money licensing the software stack for yeah. that. Look, and we, and we, um, we, we work on a, on a percentage base because our belief is that we want to be held accountable for the content that we make and, this, and the decisions we make, just saying, oh, here's a, a flat fee, right. good luck. Um, I don't think weds you as an early business to your customers as much as going, okay, well, every dollar you make, I see a piece of that, so I need to make sure I'm helping you with, you know, sharing information about what works in North Melbourne with mm -hmm. marketing, sharing information between the sites where it's appropriate and, and listening to their feedback from what their customers are seeing. The good news is what we're finding is customer behavior is very, very similar all over the world. You know, the Japanese and the Spanish and the Americans, they all want similar things. In a now, similar how many format. countries are you in now? Um, we're in, uh, I think it's five countries now. Yeah, so it's it's big. It's all, all over the all over the planet. And how many them. install locations? Um, ten at the moment, and wow. it'll be twenty by the end of the year. We're doing two a month till the end of the year. So you're d okay. So and and we're halfway through the we're past halfway through the year. Yeah. So you have a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of work right now to double your install base. Yeah, exactly. How many employees? Um, just over sixty full time. And how much do you want to tell me about your revenue? Um, we so it's on the record for last year. We booked twelve million dollars worth of contracts okay. and sales last year. Okay. Um, which is which is good for a company that's three years old. Gee, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's I think I think one thing that we I underestimated at the start um, is just the sheer like it's it's complex. You know, it's IT, it's manufacturing, it's hardware, and no matter who and it's entertainment, and it's entertainment, which is and, that it's, other... and it's content. Um, yeah. To do it well, and the, the line between doing it well and doing it terribly is very, very fine. Like you've got to have the the technology's got to work well. The operation staff need to be good. The content needs to be solid. Um, your supply chain needs to be robust. Your support and deployment team needs to be on point, maintaining these things. Um, it's such a complex beast, and I think one of the key things with zero latency is we have distilled that from a customer's point of view into a play button. Right. You know, like I could teach you how to run a zero latency game. Yeah. In, in two or three minutes. Mm -hmm. To teach you how to fix a backpack would probably take half a day. Yeah. Um, but that's that's one of the secret pieces to this. And because it all comes back to the fact that, um, and this was pushed by Dean, um, who was like, we've got to do something. Um, you know, you, you can't sell it, you should open. And we're like, that's a good idea. Openings, just eating your own dog food for that amount of time is was such a powerful thing. Because mm -hmm. we just, you're on the ground making making product decisions because you're using it. Well, because you're trying to make your own life easier, <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. A cu not a customer's life easier. Exactly, and you're trying to optimize your you optimize um, for revenue, trying to optimize for customer experience, and yeah, it's been a real secret for us. All right, so us. where does this all go now? For I think uh, you can answer that first for zero latency, but then talk a little bit about virtual reality, because you've been around this renaissance in VR as yeah. long as anyone now. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's it's easy to get a keyhole view because we're so focused on, you know, building our little patch of um of the VR community. So for zero latency, it's just about continuing to deliver fantastic experiences and in, and increase our install base. Mm. I mean, fundamentally, that's what we want to do. We do our own sites. We um got a JV about to be announced. Um, we'll be doing more of those. We're forming uh, in the final throes of some really exciting strategic relationships in giant markets um, in Asia. So there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening to consolidate what we're doing and to consolidate our lead. And as we're seeing, people are coming coming to it, you know, some of, they're solving some of the challenges we solved two years ago. And what's good for us is we're looking at that going, that's exciting, but you wait. You wait till you've got three in the wild. You wait till you've got 10 in the wild. Yeah. You yeah. wait till you're dealing with- But it's not it. just a technical problem. Oh, it's exactly. And I think it's, similar to where we were, which is probably why I've got so many gray hairs now um, that I'd had two years ago. Of you go, oh, thank God we've got technology working. Oh, great, we've sold it. And all those like mountains that you climb just come with another even bigger mountain. And um, there's when I look back at the zero latency path, there is critical decisions that we made in a hurry. And you go, well, if we'd gone left instead of right, we would have we would have hit the mountain. It's really, really, it's, it's, it's interesting. And we've seen that with some of our, um, you know, potential competition. You can sort of see, you can sort of see, you know, it's risky like any business, you know, and you're, you're trying to keep all these balls in the air. Plus, as you said, the VR market, there was this, we'll do a, you know, a, a gazillion headsets by, you know, 2017 that hasn't materialized. But mm. what has happened, which is lovely for everyone to catch up with zero latency thesis, is people aren't going to clear their living room to, to and spend three or four thousand dollars. I know with my wife, I said I want to clear the living room and, and set up virtual reality. She'd be like, I don't know if that's a great idea. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah. Plus, you know, house sizes, all these things going against in-home VR as it stands at the moment, because I think people just got it wrong. I think your AR and your VR at home has got some fantastic uses, but it's not. it wasn't that massive explosion everyone was expecting because I think it got so hyped. Yeah. People are now extra disappointed. And what they're realizing is if I'm VR curious, um, paying $50, $60, $80 to play something that I can't get at home, a much yeah. better experience is much more palatable for people. And there's thousands of people that want to try that. Plus, what we're really locking into, which I think is where hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll nail that at home as well, is people want to, like one thing that's really powerful about zero latency is you come with your friends, you go on an adventure. You're not on some Rails experience where right. you're walking, you know, shoot this thing in a room, go on a lift, no. go out. No, it's go like, exactly it's, the kind of thing that you'd be able to sit down with beers afterward exactly. and just discuss endlessly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. And I think that like understanding the modality of, the, of what you're building is really important. Understanding that like, I look at the smartphone and now pinch zoom. There was a time that didn't exist. Yeah. There was a time where people were tapping, tapping tiny plus and minuses and wondering why it sucked. Right. And now pinch zoom is like, oh, of course I came up with that. Like the wheel, how hard would that have been? Um, and it's the same, it's gonna be the same with VR. There's things that people, you know, initially gain like the roller coaster demo, which always just oh. makes me weep when people go, I tried the roller coaster demo. It's like, oh, please, please don't continue please your don't. story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that sucks. Like if you, to create a demo that sucked the most in the world, that is what you would put together. And I think as people are learning, that's, that's we're gonna get better and better at VR. And I think the prevalence of having this, this mode of technology out there, more and more people's hands, like they like Apple did with, the, with their phones, more and more, you know, million monkeys typing on the typewriter, someone's going to come up with the pinch zoom of VR and go, oh, why? I can't believe we didn't know that before. Like, it seems really logical now. And, you, see, you know, you see people in the media talking about the zero, what is now I call the zero latency philosophy. It makes a lot of sense. I was like, of course you go out of home and of course you'd, you'd go big and make it multiplayer. Why, why wouldn't you? Of course it makes sense. But you don't see that when you're, you know, two or three years ago when I'll be talking to people at dinner parties and they're just, they'd literally laugh, especially if they're 90s kids. They'd just be like, all oh, right, we did VR in the 90s. Like, what's changed? <laughs> 
Jim, <laughs> I think that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hi, it's Mark again. Now, you know we had this very long break between April and August. You might be wondering why. Well, earlier this year, I was approached to do another podcast, and this podcast is about the future. The next billion seconds are going to be the most important in history, and on that podcast, we talk to the folks who are deeply involved in making that future. Their insights can help us make decisions today that will leave us better off tomorrow. So I invite you all to go to Podcast One Australia at podcastone.com.au and have a listen. Or download the Podcast One app through the App Store or Google Play and listen on the go. I'm very happy with the work we're doing on the next billion seconds, and I know that you'll enjoy our tour through the future. When an industry is new and it's clear that it's significant, but maybe it's not exactly clear where and how and why it's significant, the best strategy to establish yourself as a business is maybe the shotgun method. That's to try a lot of things, scatter your shots, see what you hit. That's exactly the path that led Autodesk to AutoCAD back when the PC was new and significant, not really clear what it meant in practice. Now, there's another company based in Sydney that has been taking a similar approach with virtual reality. StartVR has been experimenting, collaborating, creating, and building the core skills they'll need to succeed in whatever VR becomes. So to talk to us about that approach and the journey thus far is StartVR co-founder and CEO, Kane Tietzel. Kane, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. All right. So what was the start of StartVR? Yeah. So StartVR originally... Um, I mean, I went to a, a Sydney VR meetup. I tried the Samsung Gear VR for the, for the very first time the moment it came out and uh, realised in that moment that that's what I was supposed to be doing with my entire life. You know, <laughs> I been, understand been, that feeling. Yeah, it had been 20 years. I've, yeah. I've waited to get back to this point. I mean, it's now ready. Yeah. i got to jump on this. So I dropped everything that I did and I thought what I'd do is I'd start up a podcast about how to get started in VR. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So start VR. I you know created the band. I started blogging that night, and um and it, it was meant to be a podcast about how does how do you get how do I get started? What skills do I need? What sort of you know technologies required? How do you build it? How do you project manage? These how does things? that become a studio then? Yeah. So pretty quickly it evolved into um a studio. So you know we um. Uh, started taking a, a brief, and that brief led to having to investigate. Well, okay, we've got a we've got a brief. How mm -hmm. am I going to build it? So, mm -hmm. you know, I built a prototype. I used you know my video production skills to mock things up, and then I I found some people to help sort of shoot some three sixty content, and started to build it together. And that basically, you know, lit the fuse for the rest of the business to turn into a production studio. And then you did your noir, which was yeah. sort of the thing that really established you. Now that was a collaboration. Talk a little bit about how that project happened. That project, uh, that project was um, mostly initiated by Nathan Anderson, who's a, a COO and co-founder of StartVR as well. Um, he had a good working relationship with um, Neil at um, Afters as mm. well, and, and they were looking to move into VR, and we he'd had this idea brewing for a long time. So, you know, it was, was pitched in a you know, casual conversation and said, well, let's make this happen. So from there, you know, the, the, the story was always uh, there in the background. We, we, we started working with Afters. We found production partners in Frameset and Match, who are now Vandal. 
And um, and that process of, of collaborating with lots of different um, technical resources to mm. build a project is fantastic because you've got a lot of people who are keen to get into the business but not sure how to go about it. We're able to offer the expertise that we can and, uh, and, and, and drive the project and then really sort of tap into highly specialised skill sets of other companies who are looking to move into VR as well. So it's a highly collaborative process. Now, which is very much like film and film production. That's correct, yeah. But we're now seeing, so the, VR Noir was about, what, 18 months ago when it was yeah. done? And so about a year ago, actually. Yeah. The, the last 18 months to a year have seen now an explosion in VR projects, but also in the number of people who have skills in VR. So it's no longer the same story around VR skills acquisition. It's mm. now very much more around finding good projects and doing mm -hmm. that so do you have a sort of normal studio model where you're constantly out pitching for work Is yeah it sort of like that yeah we've got a, a we've got two approaches for us it was always important right from the get-go you mentioned shotgun you know mm -hmm. um we always wanted to build uh, a strong base of production work so that we could survive as a business right. we could build our expertise you know we could you know have something to fall back on whilst we focused on our original project so we built a very successful um you know commercial business or mm -hmm. branded content business which has enabled us to then start putting our own ideas to market as well and in some ways that's the ideal because it means that you can capitalize yourself along the way absolutely and has do you feel that that process has slowed you down in the pursuit of your own goals or has it actually helped you along or has it sort of been a wash you know, I think a lot of people criticise that approach at the start. You know, um, are you crazy? You know, trying to do both. Um, you know, but in, in 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 hindsight, now people are starting to say that was actually the smart thing to do. You know, as the it's VR always in hindsight. <clears throat> yeah, as the VR industry has been, you know, it's slower to take off than expected, and um, you've got a lot of companies that have just been burning cash off investment. You know, having that balanced approach of me meaning that we have to be lean about how we approach things, and we're not sp you know been spending someone else's money on on a couple of you know. Um, novelty or, or vanity projects has mean we've been able to be very sharp about things. But what's happened is that you know the the client work has been driven a lot by the brand or the original content work we're doing. So we're we're pushing forward the the envelope with what we do with our original content and narrative and storytelling. Okay, so and what's the original content? T tell us a little bit so, about that. So Vian Noir is a good example of original content, uh, and that was our first piece we took to market. Mm -hmm. And everything we do, we we use these opportunities to validate the market to find out more information because there's no data out there. No one's giving any information new. around about you know uh, demographics, download numbers, profitability, all that kind of stuff. It's all shrouded in secrecy. So we've Be just, because and yeah. part of this is because those numbers are not as exciting. Yeah, I mean Sony is being much mm. more transparent about unit sales because yeah. their their numbers are genuinely kind of exciting. That's right. But yeah. everyone else is kind of like. Mm -hmm. Exactly right, which doesn't help anyone. No. So we're making sure that every project we do, original, every original project we do, we're learning from. Mm -hmm. So Vianoir was very much about well, how many, how much can a free project be seeded? You know, what's the popularity? Do people demand it? And we've got some good numbers. So right. you know, around about three hundred thousand people have downloaded that particular application. Okay. Rates well good reviews, all that kind of stuff. We just released a new project last week, our next piece of original content called Atlas Obscura VR. Mm. It's a travel-based entertainment piece. We mm -hmm. went out and licensed um, the IP from Atlas Obscura, who are a, a, a massive media company or a trending media company based out of New York. And um, you know, we created something special. And again, with this one here, we tried a different model, which is let's make the first episode free and then let's make the other two episodes 
purchased for roughly three US dollars. And we're going to see how that goes and evolves into a a business line. Plus our next original project, we've got a different model that we're trying to apply as well. So it's again, it's the shotgun model, but now you're applying the shotgun model to consumer behavior to figure out sort of where the sweet spot is with consumer behavior. I would rather prefer precision. um, (laughs) We're treating this like a scalpel. We're being very precise about what we're trying to achieve rather than the shotgun approach. But there is, I mean, clearly at this time, with so many questions, with so much still open in VR, that is an approach that if you can afford Mm -hmm. to do it, is eventually going to, you're eventually going to find something that works. We're going to look for the formula. We're looking for the patterns. We're looking for, you know, the real revenue opportunities, you know. So, you know, Atlas Obscura is is mobile VR based. So we're very focused around that. Uh, Awake, our next project is tethered. So we're looking at a very different end of the market, Mm -hmm. which should have a higher attachment rate and therefore greater sales with the idea that as devices become uh, standalone, they become the the merging of mobile and tethered. So you've got inside out tracking and the ability to have all that. Which is very much what I saw at CES this year yeah. that they're while we may not be there yet but then, you know sort of within two years almost everything is going to feel indistinguishable that's correct and you know some of the major hardware providers have announced they've got hardware coming of course everyone's working on it so you know again we're using that as an example to build out that pipeline with the idea that these two things are going to merge somewhere in the middle okay then why did I recently hear someone describe you as wanting to be the mm. Netflix of virtual reality because Netflix has a very specific <clears throat> well-described, well-understood business model. Yeah. Well, I mean, we th- when every new piece of, new revolution in technology, industries are going to reset themselves. Right. And the easiest way to describe our business model is to call us the Netflix of VR. <clears throat> you know, uh, you know. ultimately, we'd like to say we want to be the start VR of VR, right. but that doesn't mean anything at the moment. So ultimately, we're looking to build a library of content with our own subscription channel. Um, our original content is leading into that. The branded content we're moving is into that as well and looking to develop a range of other sort of services to help drive what we're calling interactive cinematic VR, a subgenre within so virtual are, reality. Are you then looking to establish, I guess, within your studio a particular mm. look and feel so that people know what a start VR property is like? Or are there going to be specific lines of properties in there that will have their own feel? Oh, look, you know, there'll be a series of brands within that, like Netflix does. You know, House of Cards is very different to the comedy specials that they do. Um, You know, but you're right. In a HBO-type way, you know, you are known for quality and a particular type of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's what we're calling interactive cinematic VR. It's not a straight 360 video. It's not a video game. It's something in between that brings the user or the player into an environment to help shape the outcome. So how is this different from, say, a company like Within? Mm -hmm. Because there have been a couple of other companies that you can go into and then there's this content and a lot of it's 360 video, not all of it. But there's been a number of approaches there. None of these really seem to have gotten a lot of traction Mm. yet. So how is what you're doing different from those approaches well i think what you mentioned is right is is what we've seen is that 360 video is a fantastic entry point into creating vr like experiences but it's it's difficult to monetize you know consumers aren't prepared to pay for 360 degree content at the moment it's not it's not compelling enough but obviously video games you know vr games there's quite clearly a revenue model right there longer gestation period it's also high risk you build a game you never know whether it's going to work and again we really believe that hybrid model of something in between so we know that film and television studios are trying to work at how to get into vr how do they can how can they start telling their longer story arcs and their high quality cinematic production values so we're taking that type of aesthetic of storytelling adding the simple interactivity you might have in video games and using 360 like production techniques to create a new hybrid where we think 
is a sweet spot that can be monetized and then turned into uh, a channel of content worth subscribing to. So it's interesting, when I came to Australia and started to teach at the EFTRS, one of the things mm. that I did right off was to start to teach all the students to make DVDs mm -hmm. because that taught them a lot of interactive production techniques that yep. they weren't getting through the regular part of the film program. Yep. Are we now going to see film producers and also film students starting to make interactive VR productions as part of their work because that's going to be an expected deliverable I would hope in so. the medium. Yeah, I would hope so. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a new genre that hasn't really been explored yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the opportunity the, the new medium is going to offer us new ways of telling stories and new ways to interact. And and yeah, I think Vianoir and Aptus's engagement in that project is it a good indication that that could lead that way. Okay. Let's pop up a level. You right. know as much as anyone in Australia and really, frankly, the world about the business of VR mm -hmm. and where the business of VR is going. So mm -hmm. where would you say sort of over the next three to five years, where is that business going? We There's, there's a sense that it's underperformed. I kind of argue with that. Mm. But there's also a sense that there's so much to do, people almost don't know where to start. <laughs> so how, where is this going sort of over the short term? If someone is listening and thinking mm. of doing a startup or joining a startup, what should they be thinking of? Well, I think you mentioned at the start that the, the, the shotgun approach is about trying to find out um, where the opportunity is, where the, the revenue opportunity model, or the models are. Um, you know, we've done real estate, we've done travel, we've done marketing, education and training, you know, and, and we will continue to do a lot of that. But I think we're starting to see uh, business models where people are focusing on certain areas. It's at the moment, you know, it, it's like saying mobile or internet, right. you know, what, what's, what's, the, what's the revenue for the internet? What's the revenue model for mobile? You know, we are still in those early stages and, and we don't know how that's gonna play out, but we're gonna have specialists in all these different verticals. I think what's the most challenging part is how the hardware's gonna play out. We've got new, right, because we're new playing... combatants entering the arena all the time. <laughs> it's not just that this is a new medium, it's that the medium is itself in flux in yeah, real time. That's right. correct, you know, and you've got major, you know, parties all trying to assert themselves to be the dominant walled garden of content within that as well. Um, some of them more open, but you know we're going to start seeing the, the larger media companies step into the fray as well. I mean, we don't know what Apple's going to do. Right. Um, you know, uh, that's that's the bit the big killer when they enter the arena. That will change everything if they do it all. But I think so VR I think is. We all know that they will. We just don't know when. Yeah. Right. Look, VR is inevitable. You know, it, AR is inevitable. You know, this 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 technological revolution. It's coming some way or another. How soon it gets there, we don't know. What is your best advice to someone who wants to be able to stay alive long enough, as you have, yep. to make it to the point where that revolution is on is in full swing? Start now. <laughs> Start now and um, find good people. Find a good team of people that you can build around you. And, and what's your what's your best hint for helping people find good teams? Talk about your ideas. Share what you want to achieve with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the early days, the amount of people, people wouldn't want to share their idea. I've got this idea for a VR project, and they'd be all protective. Mm -hmm. And what I learned through you know other startups that I've been in is that you've got to communicate. You've got to talk to people because that begets new ideas. It, you find people who have got a shared interest. That leads to other introductions, and that's how the groundswell happens. And that's exactly what happened with Start VR. You know, we built a team of you know 15 people, and pretty much it's been like a, a nucleus of gravity you know it's been like a black hole everyone's just been sucked in towards it anyone in the business is there because they want to be there you know and and they've forced themselves into the company we've never had to go out um and i think that's happening as well and you see it with other businesses as well so 
start something, find the right people, talk about it, make it happen. Kane Tietzel, thank you so much for this very brief but very dense conversation <laughs> on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. Now, I have to tell you, with 27 going on 28 years in VR, it's a pleasure to put these shows together, and it's a pleasure to watch VR reemerge. One of the things that I thought was going to be the case this time around, that was going to be different this time around, was that there was going to be less of a focus on entertainment and a lot more of a focus on business uses, business visualization, decision analysis, data visualization, all of these things. And I really put a lot of markers out last year about how I thought this was going to happen. And I've learned something from that scattershot approach. What I've learned is that business is actually a lot less prepared to be able to use the technologies of VR and visualization to tell stories about their numbers, about their data, about who they are as businesses. They're not as prepared for that as most entertainment companies are. Entertainment companies have been using visual techniques of storytelling for a hundred years. Most businesses don't, even in their marketing departments. And so they now have these enormous wellsprings of data. They have big data stores. They have data stories they need to tell themselves and their customers, and they don't have the skills to do it. And so the thing that I've identified, and I think it's an important gap here, and it's an opportunity gap, is that businesses need to come up to speed being able to use these new tools, including VR, to tell stories to themselves. And I think within a few years, we'll start to see those companies. Right now, what we're seeing is companies that are taking the entertainment end. So you have Start VR doing mass entertainment out on the mobile, and you have Zero Latency doing location-based entertainment that you come and see, sort of opposite approaches, both of them studio-based, both of them very successful because they're meeting the need of the market today, and both of them geared up so they can learn and they can evolve as the hardware continues to move. Because VR right now, it's a moving target. We are not done yet. Big thanks to Twista supporters Creative3 and Spaceship. Their support is making this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Warmoth and AnalogCabin.net for creating a podcast that is consistently great to listen to. Thanks to Tim Rus and Kane Tietzel for taking the time to come on our show. We'll be back in a fortnight with an episode that looks squarely at one of the biggest problems in the startup community, harassment. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.